Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Minister Brandon has led us in responsive reading, and there was something that was said in verse 23 of chapter 2 of Colossians that I thought was interesting for us today, looking at We'll worship as a theme for the month. Paul used a unique Greek word, ethokeskia. It's translated in the King James Version as will worship. Will worship is worship that's devised by man on will and not God is a system of religion invented in the mind of man induced by pride. And I want you to focus in on this one thing. Mind-induced religion will result in mind-induced worship. And as I go through this message this morning, my prayer is you will think beyond where we are today and think about any religious experience you may have had or you may observe. Because sad to say is you see a lot of mind-induced worship in our churches today. Some translations render this word as self-imposed worship. Other translations rendered it as man-made religion. While some says self-imposed piety. And there was one that says it was self-chosen devotion. Now the key word in all these definitions is self. And this Greek word implies a set of religious practices resulting from one's own self-desires and initiative. The background of this text is when Paul receives word from a man by the name Epaphroditus, Epaphras rather, brought him some disturbing news about the infiltration of false teachers at the church that threatened the well-being of everything that was going on that God had started there. And this erroneous Doctrine presented by these false teaching had no spiritual authority, nor were they inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I want to just stop right there and just say something. If you have a religion that has no scriptural authority and are not inspired by the Holy Spirit, then it's mind-induced. I want you to think about what was going on if we look at the background of Colossae. In many ways, these false teachers appealed to the people. These people poured out applause and accolades upon these men. And although their teaching was unbiblical, 
it was effective. Say that again. Although it was unbiblical, it was effective. Thus these teachers became vain and puffed up in their minds. See, I hear a lot of criticism about pastors. But if you are in an environment that believes in autonomy, that means that the congregation rules. So if you are in a church that's degrading or downgrading your pastor, talk about all he wants is money and all he does is run women, why are you still there? A better point is why is he still there? You have the power in a church of autonomy to get you a new one. But see, what you do when you allow that, you reinforce that they're doing what's right. When you say amen to something that's a lie, there's no reason for him to stop lying. So, so, even though it was unbiblical, it was effective, and they became puffed up in their mind. Well, I can do this. And one of the main reasons they became puffed up in their mind was their approach. You see, on the surface, their conduct appealed to be humble and religious. The people favor response to this mind-induced Religion reinforced the false teachers arrogant. And you got a lot of arrogant church leaders, a lot of arrogant pastors, but they become more aggressive when you buy into it. You see, it's more to this office than just preaching. You can get any gifted speaker to come up here and do this. I can give him some of my notes and y'all just go crazy. But the saints of God ought to know something about the anointing. Your spirit ought to connect with his spirit. Another thing, too, if you are talking about your pastor, you're talking about you. Move on, Dave. The favorite response. All the things that the congregation do to make the preacher feel like he's God makes him become aggressive and arrogant. And for Paul, this is what was happening at Church Colossae, and it made their teaching even more dangerous. So when he got the word, he responded. And there were three issues that he responded to as we kind of look at this text. Let me give them to him because I know some people take notes. The first one was philosophy. Philosophy. The second one was legalism. And the third one was mysticism. We're going to break each one of these down and try to have a scriptural source for them. And we can then go home and get a little nap, and then y'all can meet me over at Lisa. 
I wish. Philosophy. Colossians 2 and 8. First word out of Paul's mouth in this one is beware. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiment of the world, and not after Christ. Philosophy. We get our English word uh, from the Greek word philosophia. It's a compound word from the word philo, which is love, and sophia, which is wisdom. So sophia, philosophia can be applied to either the love or the search for wisdom. Or the knowledge resulting from that pursuit. Don't misunderstand. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with philosophy. It's not evil. One of the things that you'll find when you have searched for wisdom and gained wisdom is the, that's what PhD means. So when someone has a PhD, that means that they have gained some wisdom somewhere through their study. And they're able to speak authoritative and accurately from whatever they study. So there's nothing wrong with philosophy. But that's not the type of philosophy Paul is talking about. Paul is concerned with that vain emptiness that leads to deceit. And see that deceit leads to conceit. Because you, you can brag about all those degrees, but those degrees don't always make you right. You know, this Dr. Dunbar will tell you some of these degrees you can buy. It was a philosophy that had at his heart love of wisdom more than love of Christ. Y'all hear that? I want to learn more than I want to love. I want to learn so I can have that PhD or that THD or that D-men or that DD behind my name. But then when I speak, I'm going to speak the stuff that's going to tickle your ears. The type of philosophy that Paul is talking about is not only demonic, it's worldly. Now you look at this text, this verse 8. Paul warns you not to let man spoil them. And the Greek word for spoil is used often or have the idea of kidnapping. So the warning he's given to the church is unless believers can, can, can be careful, the love of this empty wisdom will ensnare them or take them captive. In other words, you don't got hooked on it. You got addicted to it. You see, that's why, that's why you get into a certain style of music or a certain style of preaching and you don't feel like you had church unless that was done. See, you don't, you don't, you don't got captivated by it. 
When you gonna bring it home, preacher? When you go hit that note, Kalea? Because my day of worship ain't fulfilled unless I hear her say it. When you gonna get the dance song, Sister Anne? Then I know that the Holy Ghost is here. It may be in her, but is it in you? When you talk about wisdom, what does the Bible say about wisdom? I got two scriptures for it. One written by King David, another written by his son. Solomon in Proverbs 9 and 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now that's scriptural philosophy there. David wrote this in Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do this. Do his commandment. I want to just. Something I just saw in this right now. Now Solomon is. Being given the title. The wisest man in the world. David has been given the title. The man after God's own heart. And all of Solomon's wisdom. Where do you think he got that from? Think about it. His daddy said the same thing to him. So it's me and Sunday. Tell little Maurice the reason we can't get nobody to do that because daddy ain't teaching their son. That went over some of y'all here, didn't it? That is philosophy. Next, he deals with legalism. Verse 16, Colossians 2. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or respect of a holy day or a new moon, or the Sabbath. The word judge here is an interesting term. It's used by those people who used to officiate the Olympic Games. I know some of y'all saw some football games. Y'all saw them yellow flags going everywhere. And I was thinking about that Mercer loss of game on a penalty. So what he's saying here is don't let nobody throw a flag on you. This term is used by an empire referee. It's, 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 a, it's a caution not to allow anybody to disqualify you from the freedom of the legalistic law. Now, uh, I came up in Summerhill in Atlanta and I went to a Baptist church. The, the, the pastor there was one that was an educated man. My mama, my grandmama went to a little of a holiness church where they got a little bit more freedom in worship. And I kind of remember one time that when grandmama came to the, 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 the church that was a little bit more serene, I think she must have shouted out hallelujah, did something, and everybody looked back at her. And she said, down. This is what Paul is saying. Don't let nobody throw a flag on your worship. Heard Dr. X today in, in, in faith development talking about, about lifting up hands or doing something in worship. When somebody else can dictate to you 
what you have been led to do and you do otherwise, they don't throw a flag on your worship. He said, don't let nobody penalize you. Now, let's reverse that. Now, if you want them people that you just want to cry privately and people asking you to do all these things, don't let them throw no flag on you. But just make sure that you are not disobedient to the Holy Spirit. When you read that scripture, it says, taste not, touch not. See, legalism means following a strict set of rules to the letter without the spiritual intent of the law. And in this passage, legalism included circumcision, included dietary restrictions, holy days, and Sabbath. Circumcision is simply cutting away the flesh to identify somebody as somebody. This was a big deal for them. Dietary restraint means you couldn't eat certain food. I'm going to tell you something, y'all. I like pork. You don't like it, you don't eat it, you can give it to me. That's all right. Fine. <laughs> Rose McElroy cooked the best collard green because she used them smoked pigtails. And my wife don't like it, but I eat that meat too. <laughs> but that's me. If you want to eat whatever you want to eat, then you eat it. It ain't got nothing to do between your relationship and God. Now, don't be stupid. If you got high blood pressure, there's some things you need to stay away from. If you're diabetic, there's some things you need to stay away from. But it ain't got nothing to do with your relationship with God. It may make you see him earlier, but it ain't got nothing to do with it. Holy days. Holy days. Yo, in King James, to make this word, one word, H-O-L-Y-D-A-Y. Now, you know why it's also pronounced as I. So anytime you see holiday, it's a holy day. That's the origin of the word. Now, this is the Lord's day. Ain't you glad that you don't miss heaven because you don't come to church every Sunday? As much as I preach about you being in attendance, don't let me throw no flag on your worship. I'm going to always tell you that because I think it's where you ought to be. But I ain't kicking you out of heaven because I ain't got no heaven to kick you out of. And then the next thing he said, the Sabbath, the day of rest. Guess what? This ain't the Sabbath. This ain't even the Christian Sabbath. This is the Lord's day. Now, if you want to talk about the Sabbath and keep it holy, think about what you did yesterday. Because yesterday was the Sabbath. All right, move on, move on. So we talked about philosophy and legalism. Now we're going to talk about the most important one. Mysticism. Hold on, I'm coming back to tell you what that is. Verse 23 of chapter 2 of Colossians. 
Which thing? What are you talking about? Which thing? He's talking about all those legal, mandated, all those philosophy. He's saying which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility, neglecting the body and not honoring, in, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. What you think with me? I'm going to try to do this slow. Mysticism is the belief that extraordinary knowledge of God, spiritual truth, and ultimate reality can be obtained through special experience, intuition, or insight. In other words, it's from that somebody said, we got it and you ain't. We know it, but you don't. It bugs me every time I go to church somewhere and they say, welcome to Holy Ghost headquarters. The Holy Ghost headquarters in the heaven. It ain't in your church. You don't, you, if you look at the at echelon, you don't put your church way above heaven now. You just want the arms down the leg. That's just like telling, telling you that your heart is in your head. All the blood comes from the heart. And the same thing with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read it again. Mysticism is the belief in an extraordinary knowledge of God, spiritual truth, ultimate reality that can be attained through special experience, intuition, or insight. And my experience, because I don't, I don't serve in Methodist environment, Pentecostal environment, Baptist environment. I don't serve them all. And I have seen it all. You see, the Pentecostal, and that's my background, need to get out of the book of Acts. And the Baptists need to get out of the book of John. It's more to it than just those two books. But we build our foundation on two things. What was this all about? You see, in, in, in verse 18 of chapter 2, Paul had said something about the worship of angels. And the issue was voluntary accepting of a lower object of worship, such as angels, was an act of humility. Oh, I worship Gabriel. I worship Michael. I worship Raphael. Now, Raphael, y'all probably don't, never heard of, but that's one of the Parker books that talks about him being an angel as well. Those are the only three names. See, in doing so, it was an affirmation of angelic power in creation. And the whole process of salvation. Let me see if I can explain this. See, when God said, let there be, something happened. But their belief is that angels went out and did what God said, let that be. And when God began to work on men how to draw them salvation, they were saying that angels were the primary evangelistic vehicle. So they were taking credit, the angels were taking credit for creation and for salvation. And in doing so, they relegated Christ to a lower position in worship. 
In other words, they're worshiping other things first. And then they begin to worship Yahweh or Yeshua. The text suggests that false teachers participate in this type of mind-induced worship in hopes that they were going to gain a superior merit from God. They thought God was going to be pleased with them worship a lower form of being. What was the problem there? See, they believe it was easier to please the angel than to please God. Because angels demanded less and required less. So instead of me obeying the word of God, which required more, like love your brother, do good to your enemies, I could worship Gabriel, Michael, and Raphael and not do so because they were not demanding that. According to this verse, real worship fell into two categories. First of all, was humility. Humility is speaking of an empty act of modest piety. See, instead of developing a strip of humility, these people substitute a self-manufactured one that glorifies self and not God. I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. See, this, this stuff is real. You, you hear people talk about the fact they're doing something. Oh, I'm fasting this week. I want to seek the Lord. I'm fasting. I haven't had anything. The devil tried to tempt me. You ain't doing nothing but glorifying yourself, so shut up. The Bible is clear on fasting. Don't dress yourself up. Don't let nobody else know it. Have you ever been in a service that the more you said amen to somebody's prayer, the louder and longer they prayed? When the Bible tells us where to pray, go into your secret closet and speak only to God. I know it one. Have you ever heard somebody say, if y'all say amen, y'all fill in the blank of it? Anyway. The second one was the neglect of the body. Refers to the belief that through self-denial and self-torture, man can achieve a high state of holiness. In other words, these people are punishing the body every time they thought wrong. Every time they did wrong. They were really cutting themselves up with stone, hurting themselves. But guess what? None of these acts had any power, any effect on curbing that desire. They still wanted to do the same thing that they were punishing their body for. So the self-indulgence of the flesh, the desire was still there. All right, Dave, you don't told us all that, so what? One of the most effective tools in advertisement is the use of a word, new. As soon as we hear, we, we, we think about something. Hear, and be careful when somebody offers you a new 
type of worship. You see, worship of the angels offered more while requiring less. It was something new. And these people bought into it hook, line, and sinker. I want you to think about something, then I'm through. One of the least read books in the Bible is Leviticus. But the book was written to outline the responsibility of the priests who were given instructions on how to assist the people in worship. For many of us, these 27 chapters are too long, too complicated to understand, too boring. And this has led many people to come to this mindset. It don't take all that. Well, why in the world do you think that God inspired Moses to write something that took 27 chapters when it's all about how that the leaders are supposed to lead people to worship? It may not be for you. It may be for those in leadership position of the church, but we don't read it either. Because we believe it don't take all that. So many accept what man says rather than reading the truth for themselves. So is it any wonder that mind-induced worship has resulted into legal sanction? Such as abortion and same-sex marriage. And I'm talking about stuff that's endorsed by churches. When the Bible speaks clearly on both issues. Because it's mind-induced religion. Why is that? Because it's easy to compromise than be committed. Because it's easier to conform than confront. Because it's easier to give in than to hold out. Because it's easier to flee than to flight. Because it's easier to fuss than to forgive. See, mind-induced religion has led to this. There are many ways to God. Sounds good, don't it? When Jesus clearly states, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the lead. No man come to the Father but by me. And if anyone tell you anything else, it's mine induced. Not strip you. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.